always try and moderate, which is a which yeah, is which a, is a big mistake, big failure. But it's Mark and Dave here co-hosting. Oh yeah, we are. I'll do but that, which doing really this irritates them because it's supposed to be more of a conversation. But it's hard to have a conversation so, with somebody you don't know. Yeah. So so who are you? So my name is Jeff Conklin um, with JD Power. I've yeah. been at JD Power almost 20 years, uh, and I currently manage a couple of our key service industry practice areas: uh, TMT, Technology, Media, and Telecommunications, where we work with the local cable providers, internet service providers, wireless providers. And I also have a long uh, history of engagement in uh, J.D. Power with the utilities industry, starting with the energy utilities, local electric and gas utilities, and now we're also covering uh, water utilities as part so of that. So we mix. don't ask questions here, but Mark would say something like, some oh, of our listeners, all well, three well, of them, tell, might t- wonder. Might, yeah, people <laughs> might wonder, for, for the three people that don't know who J.D. Power is yeah, as yeah. a company. Here he's got some, I mean, his it, moderator voice. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was comp, I did a podcast yesterday with uh, the Vizio CTO. Oh, you did? Vizio? Vizio, the TV, no. not the oh. not the software, which is well, yeah, yeah, in yeah, his yeah. tagline, too. Yeah, yeah, but he yeah. said, I, I seem to have an aptitude for this, was his exact quote. Yeah, bad habit. So given that I have an aptitude for it, as proclaimed by a technical expert. We eventually do ask questions. So <laughs> Mark's leading and, up And to by that. the way, and in full disclosure, I'm also uh, consulting to J.D. Power. So mm-hmm. uh, in effect, Jeff is he my boss. A, he has so. not told us yet that he's uh, chair of the MIT Enterprise Forum, though I'm sure he'll get there. No, 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 chair of the Connected Things Group. Oh, I'm a board member of the oh, MIT Enterprise oh, Forum. Anyway, so universe. Jeff, <laughs> let's talk about... You know, we will get somewhere. Let's eventually. talk about J.D. Power. Who was yeah. Dave Power? Dave what, Power. That's oh, his, cool. that's what he, that's the D, yeah. I think. Yeah. How does it work? What did, what you know? What does JD Power do? I'm familiar before I started engaging with the company with uh, the awards and, and all that. But let's talk about JD Power and what they do. Right. Yeah. So our role is to bring the voice of the customer to uh, the brands that provide services to consumers and to businesses. Uh, so we independently fund and conduct fairly large scale customer experience, customer satisfaction studies, surveys. Surveys. Yeah. Surveys. Principally, today, they're all online surveys. Oh, yeah. It's easiest to access yeah. consumers online, and they can take it at their yeah. uh, the time that's convenient for them. And um, So in many of our markets, we're doing 50,000 to 100,000 or more surveys annually uh, to bring in the voice of the customer uh, based on the companies that serve them. And we take them through their experience, their journey as a customer. How did you end up deciding to get service from this enterprise? Uh, how was the onboarding of the service? How is the ongoing level of service you get? If, like if it's a network, like if it's a electrical network, or if it's an airline network, or if it's a hotel network, or if it's a wireless carrier network, tell us about the quality of your experiences of the networks. Recent experiences, was your flight on time? Were the flight attendants courteous and did they keep you safe? And all those sorts of diagnostics, all of which get rolled up into an overall performance score and we can rank numerically um, which brands provide the best overall experience to consumers? So why does JD Power? Well, how did it manage to get the reputation it has, and does that matter? So it does start with Dave Power. James David Power III uh, was a market researcher in his early days at Ford Motor Company. Was this back in the day or more recently? Early sixties. Oh, not that early sixties. Um, As a matter of fact, and, quite recently, I would say. Well, <laughs> given given your uh, age. your age, <laughs> yeah. and so he was frustrated that sort of the lack of of uh, reaction to the voice of the customer he was bringing inside the enterprise, and he left uh, to go on his own, and founded JD Power in 1968. So we've just hit our 50th anniversary, and he oh. relocated to the West Coast, and he uh, found a ready audience with Japanese automakers. Oh, so you're not based in Detroit. 
uh, we have a big facility in Detroit, Troy office, but we Troy, but right. we're based. We, we Dave founded it in Westlake Village, California, and we're still there today. So I'm sorry. So this was a an internal. Did you say Ford? Yeah. Correct. And yeah. he was frustrated because because you couldn't get management teams of any manufacturer in the U.S. to pay attention to the customer back in the early 60s. Oh, that's true. I mean, building great machines. Steve Jobs um, would have loved it. Wonderful style, amazing right. performance, but then along come the Japanese, and uh, particularly if you think about the early 70s. Right, yeah. And all of a sudden, Nissan, gasoline, price, gasoline right. prices were yeah. really expensive. Now. And so all of us as consumers were, were shopping for smaller vehicles that were much more efficient, and right. guess who had them? Right. And, right. and the by city. the way, guess who made them really, really well? Super yeah. high quality. So that, that voice of quality really was the first leg that Dave had. But they weren't. Were they responding to consumers, or they were just better at manufacturing stuff? They were just better at manufacturing at the, at the beginning. But they quickly grasped because they knew they didn't quite understand maybe the American consumer market like they do the home market that they needed that voice. And how so that they was do it? Not, not, not how did JD Power do it? How were the Japanese doing it? Back then? Well, they weren't doing it until Dave showed up. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tricky. So, so here's, he, so here's Dave he, Power sitting in his kitchen stuffing envelopes with written surveys and putting a quarter in each envelope to get people to take the darn study. Oh, yeah. And uh. so then he, so he did this on spec? So the, you, did the Japanese? Exactly. They, exactly. So then what happened? Um, well, obviously the Japanese started to have great success in, in stealing market share. And finally the, the American companies began to pay some attention that, oh, by the way, I guess people do pay a, a quality attention to well, how well built and how long these cars last. So as a business, to the extent you know, how did he, he did this work on spec, how did he charge for it? I mean, this is like a gory detail, but hey, we're here. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not actually fully cognizant of, of, the, of the early days, wasn't there. Um, but um, ultimately where he got to was, uh, like you said, on spec, Dave Power independently sort of conducting these surveys and then offering up the results for subscription to oh. the manufacturing brands to dive into the data. And one of the things he did early on, which is, which is pretty useful, was um, to make all the data available to any subscriber so it wasn't blinded. So if you're at Ford Motor Company, you can see not just how consumers rated your vehicles, but you could also see the vehicles of, of Chevrolet and Chrysler and Toyota, et cetera. So oh. it a, it's a very powerful benchmarking tool, and that's frankly where we are today. It's a wonderful benchmarking tool because everyone's on the same uh, scorecard, and um, you can look at it by consumer type and geography and segment. And do you ever get paid, not you, but does J.D. Power do this for the industry so that they then, I'll readjust that for you. Okay, so does J.D. Talk Power, a little microphone readjustment. <laughs> so does, okay. does J.D. Power take money from a given manufacturer or retailer and then use that money to do a study, or does it do studies on its own and then offer up the results to the industry? So we do both, but the, 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 the largest portion of J.D. Power is these foundational syndicated benchmark studies that we independently conduct. Oh, um, oh. So, for example, one of them that we've been conducting since, I think, the mid to late 90s has been satisfaction with your cable provider, cable TV. Oh. How does that go? So it's been an interesting uh, uh, path to observe the last few years. Um, in fact, tomorrow, our press release comes out uh, with our 2018 Wireline Customer Satisfaction Study results. Wow. Yeah. Can you give us a hint so we can, see, so we can buy, <coughs> buy stock early? Well, yeah, we can talk a little bit about this it. Won't even be Here, you need to move closer. To I know. The mic. I'm just oh, coughing, coughing, so I'm trying not to cough. Um, 
it's a it's a fairly yeah. substantial platform where we ask households and consumers to talk about all the services they get from their wireline providers. So many yeah. people, consumers today, of course, bundle triple play and even quad play today. Whether yeah. it's I get cable TV subscription plus internet plus phone, oh. in many cases. So we ask about all three of those experiences. Sometimes it's all together because they take all three. Services sometimes it's unique because they've only got the one cable TV provision from one provider. So, so how do you, uh, you can you talk about the economics of that? How much does it cost to put those together? What will you sell them for? I mean, you um, your well, public I mean, company? You public or no? No, private. we're privately held. Private. Um, I have PE firm. Oh, right. Um, so I mean, these are big scale studies. Um, you know, we're yeah, doing more than seventy five to seventy five to hundred thousand surveys across wow. a year. Okay. Obviously, a lot of analytics goes into it. A lot of processing of the data to clean it up, uh, and then we spend a great deal of time with the subscribing providers to roll up the sleeves and reveal what we see in the results of their brand, the trends they've seen over time, how they stack up compared to a relevant set of their peers at the moment and really gets to the point of understanding where their strengths and weaknesses are. So yeah. what's sort of interesting about, well, I, I work a lot with the network industries that have the pipes and wires that come to homes. Right. So electric utilities and water utilities and gas utilities and cable television, internet, et cetera. And it's interesting what drives customer experiences, what's, what differentiates customer experiences between brands is all about the network. It's mm -hmm. the quality of the network. Uh, we take these 100,000 surveys at the end of the year and do a lot of math on them. And we take customers through their journey. So there's aspects of using the network and the reliability of the network. There's obviously a price that you pay and yeah. the value of what you get for what you pay. Every one of us as a consumer, we get a bill and we look at the bill and we pay the bill every month. So that's a transaction we ask about. We obviously hear from our providers, like as communicators, about here's how to use my product or service better. Plus, by the way, here's a promotion that might apply to you. Here's a new feature, a new add-on, a new package, a new pricing plan, et cetera. So we ask consumers about what they hear from their providers about the use of the product or service or offerings that they have. And, of course, when we have trouble, we pick up the phone and call them, or we get online and we chat with them, or we text them, or we email them. So we ask about the customer service experiences, too. Well, it's, uh, the other thing that we shouldn't forget, and um, for those that are... Your age, that would be easy. Yeah, I know. Uh, the other, you know, the, the audience may be familiar with the fact uh -oh, that... here we go. This is kind of an interview question. Oh, no. J.D. Power gives out these trophies, these awards. So you, talk about them. Well, I was going to ask Jeff to well, talk about them. We don't need to. <laughs> I actually them. held last week... The JD Power Award. I thought you guys were retiring them early. He's only been there we a tried. few weeks. <laughs> I'm being retired before I actually start. This is great. <laughs> yeah, get rid of this. This is guy. this is a new record. Actually, my retirement came before my my hiring date, so it's uh, yeah. it's kind of a reverse. This is sort of an interesting accidental outcome. In the early years of doing the automotive initial quality studies, I believe that Dave Power did. Uh, he would publish the results of who had the highest rated quality in vehicles and uh, by, by model types and then all the way down to those that weren't as good quality. And there was one year, I want to say mid-80s, early 80s, where I forget which brand might have been ranked highest, but I think Mercedes is ranked second highest. Really? Even though they're, oh, reliability. High quality. Yeah, but based on, based on the survey. Yeah. yeah. It probably was someone like Toyota that was probably ranked number yeah. one or yeah. maybe Japanese firm, day, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. And so they took this and created some advertising around it. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, How do you guys sorry, feel about Mercedes that? Mercedes won, yeah. and someone else is number two. That's yep. what the story is. Yeah. So the second place guy started advertising it. So the Mercedes guys immediately called Dave and said, what's up with this? How come you're letting him use your name? He goes, well, never really thought about this before. Oh, oh when was this? Uh, early 80s, I think it was. Oh, do you make money off that now? Well, let him well, finish. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. This is, this is, yeah. So now we do, We yeah. when we publish the awards. Did you charge um, Mark, by the way, for holding that trophy? That was a freebie. That's the only freebie. Okay. They, he were, they were actually nervous because it's 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 fairly hefty. Yeah. Anyway. So are you. So yeah. So in our <laughs> in our in our, in our published Sorry. syndicated benchmark studies, like that comes out tomorrow. Yeah. Um, the highest ranked brand in a particular segment has the opportunity to engage with JD Power to oh, really? subscribe to license to be the exclusive use of oh. that award. Oh. Yeah. So that's why you see these great Chevy. Commercials, right. right, where they're saying ranked highest by JD Power for the trucks, for the midsize, whatever it is. Right, that's from that that study. So talk about the Verizon, and um, this isn't a question, by the way. It just ends so, with a question mark. Well, yeah, just sort of on the same token, where you're yeah. going with this. So yeah. I, I know that, and, and I'm not, I have no, no uh, horse in the race here, as they say. But um, you know, like they also advertise, or Consumer Cellular, which is a a cell phone company, advertises that it's what ten years in a row they've oh, really? they've won the JD Power Award for I think really? best customer service. Yeah, customer care, really? customer care, customer care, exactly. Oh, yeah. really? So it's which it, it is you know they're not Never a Verizon, they're not a T-Mobile, not a Sprint. They're you know a, a brand that you wouldn't have thought of, but yet you know they focus on on seniors, our age range, and. Um, <laughs> And, and yeah, you know, and and they focus on on delivering great customer service because that's their value add. They they don't they don't have their own network facilities. Oh. So how do you differentiate? Well, you take good care of your customer. Interesting. And, and this becomes a proof point, I think, for for not only a, an established brand but also a, a brand that's looking to disrupt. So how do you guys handle? Because podcast is ultimately called failure. The podcast. Mm-hmm. Where does failure play into either your processes? which I suspect you won't want to admit, in a, or if it even occurs, or in helping your, your what? What are they called? Clients of yours? Yeah, the subscribers to the syndicate studies. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. In the early years when Dave would publish results, he would show the rank charts yeah. with brand names listed down to the midpoint, down to the average. And then he would oh. just show the charts blank, the bars at the, at right. the chart blank Everyone at the else. bottom because he didn't want to sort of shame potential probably the, lawyer, the, probably the lawyers appreciated that as well. Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, lo and behold, myself and a few fellows come into J.D. Power from the consulting world. We helped J.D. Power build the first ever electric utility customer satisfaction study. Oh. And we started publishing. And we said, well, look, the electric utility isn't competitive. Right. They've got their own geographies. And yeah. it's a marketplace that's still today even willing to share results with each other because they all want to learn and improve their performance to consumers. And so when we began to publish results publicly, we showed all of them from top to bottom. Wow. So mm-hmm. failure obviously can show up um, very clearly when you can show brands where are you today and where were you last year. And these are published in the, just in the industry, or are they public? Could I? Could no, they're I public. They're public. Consumer? We have them on our website. We we publish them in major trade publications and things like that. So it's a press release that comes out and, and shows the rank charts from top to bottom. Um, and so then you'll work with them to you'll work with a company, whether the top or the bottom, to unravel that or to understand what's the, what's behind their particular rating. Yeah, there's obviously drivers involved here. What's interesting to note, no matter the industry we These work aren't questions, in, by the way, yeah, um, top level brands. I mean, they got there for a reason. Right. It's it's a it's almost like a cultural 
aspect, they kind of get it. They just understand it's in the DNA of that enterprise to understand what it takes to serve customers best. And they're always seeking for better ways. So they rely a lot on our work to identify what are the better mm. ways to do the next great thing. So at the top of the charts, you get brands that are just active in making sure the bar keeps getting raised. The ones in the middle of the, the pack are, tend to be often frustrated that we were doing all these things and it's not making improvements. Come help us figure out what we got to pull on to really make it improve so we can be near the top. Right. And then obviously the brands that are trailing and lagging uh, ultimately are frustrated because they don't want to be named at the bottom of the list. And if you're in a regulated environment like utilities would be, they don't want their regulator to call them and say, why are you last, and what, what are you doing about it, sort of thing. Hey, so, so Mark, so, what was the name of that um, gas company up in uh, Andover that overpressurized? Columbia. Yeah, Columbia. we were talking about that last yeah, week. Yeah, so what can you do for Columbia? Columbia Gas, you know who they are? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, they've, um, they've so participated they in our work. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a tragic event. It's just, oh, yeah, it's just awful. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. From, from every perspective. But com- what can completely. you guys do? Well, I think one of the things we're going to see in the results is – being active at taking action, which from what I can see so far, Columbia Gas has done right. a good job of. Other than they, it they sounds were, like the first night they weren't so Well, brave. so they had a terrible thing, but they, I think they just announced well, that they wrote a $10 million check. They, they, it wasn't an uh, uh, inoculation from guilt, but yeah. they just they wrote a check and said, look, this is a, we're just going to try and help out. It happened. Yeah. Let's try and yeah. fix it. So that's... that's so, well, but so for example, I think looking at it from afar, what I, what I think I understand at the moment is they were there behind the curtain doing all the right things from the moment it happened, right. but they weren't communicating uh, to the towns, uh, to the stakeholders, to the homeowners, to the other emergency providers perhaps a bit. So that's one of the things you see from the voice of the customer very often is, well, you might have done a good job over here, but I couldn't tell because you didn't say anything about it. You didn't tell your story. So that's a big part of being a brand that we see bleeding through is consumers today, we have so many choices for any kind of service, and we're so right. in, we're so bombarded with it's an embarrassment of riches. information coming to our eyeballs and to our ears. Trying to make sense of all that's impossible. So the brands, in a way that are most successful, figure out how to break through and get you to understand their story a bit better and mm-hmm. how, how they're there to help you improve the use of the service or add these other services to it. So, How many listeners did you decide we have? Was it three or four? Uh, <laughs> maybe three. We could have doubled. Okay, six maybe. So although, all six of them, although, to the extent they don't know Columbia Gas, they, they what, overpressurized the pipes up in uh, well, yeah, north can, of Boston? Yeah, north that Andover, this, that, um, uh, that area. Yeah, that so a, it wasn't in Andover. It was... Um, not Haverhill. Yeah, there, were three, there were three towns I think yeah. that were impacted. Yeah. So they somehow managed to overpressurize the they, pipes they had, a few they, weeks they ago. A, they and a, caused explosions. Yeah, they had yeah, an accident. I think a, a, a boy died. Yeah. So it's not. Awful. It's you know. It's it's pretty phenomenal. So did you bad. hear? You know, there's the. You understand they're handing out <laughs> space heaters now. It's like it's and, getting and to hot be plates. The, hot plates and space heaters. That's incredible. Yeah, but they're again. You know, kind of to Jeff's point, they're trying. You know, you had you had a you know a big explosion happens now what do you do how do you handle it how do you recover from yeah will they ever recover from this jeff or no yeah you know what it's gonna uh, i think the unfortunate thing for a brand that's in a position like that is it's gonna be in the news forever that's right um because lawsuits will start to come in and the lawsuits will get lawyers settled on that's a good thing it's it's a five (laughs) it's a five to seven year process probably at some point um We've seen the same thing happen several, right. unfortunately, several times before. Obviously, the, uh, another major event was out in California 
What was that? It was almost 10 years ago. What was it? It was called the San Bruno event, and it was a supply pipeline that exploded. Oh, really? Uh, Sounds like the same sort of... And same overpressurizing. Uh, I, I don't know if it was, a, I don't know the exact cause of that one, but multiple people were killed in that one. I think oh. six or eight people So what did you guys died. do or what happened? Well, it was just, again, it was one of those things where obviously the brand that was in charge really takes a big hit and it's forever under litigation. So it's always negatively in the news. Right. Um, thinking about failure, I think some of the really most interesting things we see in, in some of the marketplaces come out of failure. Right. So, yeah. for example, yeah, going, going back, one of the things that changed, for example, in the electric utility industry dramatically, going back to Hurricane Katrina, mm. uh, that was so ill-served in every way, the electric utility that was in that marketplace learned a lot of lessons really fast and went from being probably a below-average utility to being one of the most premier utilities in the U.S. today wow. All right. because they, they really brought in the voice of the customer. And so, for example, today... Um, they are by far, it's, not even cl- it's, it's almost not even close to who's the second best, by far the best communicator about outage event information. Oh. So is this, is this New Orleans-based utility? So it's Entergy, it's which, Entergy. which, which oh, does yeah, multiple yeah. states yeah. in the they Gulf, region, in the Middle region. Gulf. Um, and so they got very proactive. Once they knew there was an event, they, they, they made sure they had your information, your email address, your cell phone number, and they proactively told you. What was, what was going on? Here's wow. the situation as we know it. There's an event. It was caused by this. Here's how many people were impacted. Here's the geography that's impacted at the moment. Here's the status of our crews getting out there or the equipment for repair. Here's an estimated time restoration, those kinds of things. To what extent is that a result of their having to re- in, rebuild their own infrastructure? And to what extent is it simply they're rebuilding the way they think about customers? It was much more about rebuilding the way they thought about customers. Oh, really? Yeah. So even in a regula- regulatory <clears throat> circumstance where, you know, they're the they're there, they're the incumbent, mm-hmm. they'll never have a competitor for the most part. Yeah. Although all of them I would say have competitors in solar Correct, yeah. and, and and other yeah. technologies that Small. have recently emerged. But um, they didn't have to do it. So no, what made and, them do it? Well I, I think they were in such a deep hole with customers. Right. Um, and with regulator, they, they had pressures, obviously, from Wall Street, from consumer groups, from regulators, et cetera. Um, and just with, I think with utilities being, again, a public enterprise that's not competitive, there's an honest sense of role and obligation to serve the communities that you're, you're providing electricity to. How so does that work? In they want to make sure they want to make sure they're good citizens that way. Yeah. And I think they, they really reinvented the process of communicating to customers and keeping customers informed, and it's dramatically changing the industry. So it, we used to have in, in our area, uh, west of Natick, and you would have experienced yeah. this also, we had in the, oh, about five years ago, between 10 years ago and five years ago, we had, uh, which was an area covered by a local provider, NSTAR. Yeah, which is now Eversource. Eversource, okay. Yeah, right. There were frequent outages. Um, now, when I moved in, for example, my house in the, the early 90s, there would be no outages at all. You didn't even think about it uh, if there was very sh- short. Um, and then they started having a ton of outages that were not helped by um, what seems to be climate change and the storms. And ultimately, they it seems like a trivial solution. They started cutting down the trees, not the trees, but the branches. Well, they, um, that's that right. It? Wasn't that it? They, well, the, the, uh, actually, in, in my town, I became very active with the town on, on frequent outages. And we actually would call 
uh, Eversource or Instar, uh, you know, as they were named yeah, before, yeah, yeah. into the uh, the town meeting to kind of chide them. And they weren't listening then. Maybe they're listening now. This is I'm I'm going back a few years, but yeah, part of it is long. the you know the nature of our. He lives in the town away from uh, one town away from me, but which is know, not have, far enough. You know, mature trees and mm-hmm. you know overhead wires. I'm sure it's not that different in, in in the Chicago area, but in some areas of the country where it's newer. You know, just being in California, I don't think it's as much of an issue. You don't have overhead trees they that are burning forests, hundred-year-old trees in in some of the newer, you know, uh, suburban areas. But but how do they disrupt those? How do they? How does a? I mean, this is not really. I guess it's failure oriented. But how does? How could you get rid of an NSTAR? How could you get rid of a Columbia Gas? Does the? How, oh, how would, would you get rid of a, your, your public yeah, how do you utility? Get rid of the public utility. You said solar. earlier, um, the, the impact happen? of solar is is gaining. No, but that's, um, I mean, we're ta- I assume we're talking very small numbers. But can well, you actually I, disrupt it? Can you get rid of it? In, in uh, Southern Cal, I think it, it's cut into There's a lot of markets. Revenues. I mean, remarkably, I really? think some of the second highest penetration in the U.S. for solar is actually New Jersey. But what are the places. numbers? Are we talking 5%, 10%? Uh, it's under 5%. Okay, but how yeah. do you get rid of, a, in a regulated industry, how do you get rid of those? Do you ever seen it happen in your, you're, you've been in the business. Yeah, no, I mean, no. regardless of J.D. Power, you're in the business. No, no, Does it's always, happen? no, not really. Um, but it's obviously having um, the potential for more significant erosion. If you're in San Diego, as an example, and you lots of sunshine right. and not super hot weather and you don't really need an air conditioner, you can afford to put some solar panels on your roof. That's right. You may be able to soon afford to put some storage, That's electricity right. storage. Like the Tesla battery in your garage. Which gives you a couple business. days' worth of power. Yeah, well, yeah. and um, yeah. LG just announced the other day they're now in that business, oh, too. Really? Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. um, So you've never seen a utility knocked out in, in your time? Not in that sense, no. Well, so what happens? What, so well, they start, they start losing money. Or, or, or earning less or growing at a well, slower rate. Well, because take our area. Take our area. So As I understand it, there, there were, what would have happened in our area, Mark, when we had all those outages? And I just recall there were public hearings and people were kind of crapping on NSTAR. And Nothing. for some reason, what yeah, did they answer your question, yeah, I mean, yeah, they get fined or they get they don't get their rate increase next year because exactly. their, their customer sat was down. Oh, so they had it. too many oh, complaints. So when they come into the you know Public Utilities Commission and say, I need to raise from... You know, a dollar to dollar fifty, they get declined. So I think you know again, the the voice of the customer stuff might inform some of these commissions. But I think in uh, like I did a podcast. Uh, I'll You've mention, done podcasts before? Yeah, just one. But oh. I did one with uh, for the MIT Enterprise Forum Connected oh, Things event. Are you like on the board for that? I, I am. Oh, uh, yeah. I did one with the chief technical officer of GE Power. Oh, really? Once, and he talked yeah, about yeah. how yeah, yeah. they're trying to work with these kind of multimodal grids or these hybrid uh, situations where you've got you know the utilities got an electrical line, maybe you have a gas line in there for for some of your appliances, and you've got a Hopefully solar not panel. Connected. Yeah. Um, and then they, the other thing that they're, they're trying to do is allow you to maybe even resell some of your power. Right, so right. in your subdivision, if you've got you know half a day's worth of excess power and your neighbor has an empty battery, they, they, they're trying to work on facilitating these little microtransactions, like you can have or borrow or buy two hours of my power. So it's kind of it's becoming a brave new world in the, in the utility world. So I don't think you're going to fully disrupt. And you know, Jeff's right. the utilities expert, but yeah. just I, my opinion is you're not going to fully disrupt NSTAR or or energy from being the primary provider, but you might have alternatives to augment that perhaps 
what do you uh, think? No, that's definitely emerging. Uh, alternatives Some to, years off, to supplement and augment it for sure. And again, as solar becomes more valuable, better buying. And cheaper too. Cheaper. Uh, and as storage devices come on, that, mm. that, that can change the game perhaps quite dramatically. But you know, the reality is, you as a consumer, you don't want to be your own power generator. You don't no. want to be electric utility. That's hard work. Yeah, right. Um, right. And it's not, not super reliable. So, but you mentioned sort of the feedback mechanism. Right. We've actually measured the impact of the customer experience on regulatory outcomes. Oh. So a couple of years ago, mm. we looked That's at... Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that play out? We looked at customer satisfaction in the U.S. over a period of years. Uh, what, what was the snapshot one year before they went in and asked for a rate increase? Interesting. And then what was the outcome of that rate increase? Oh. And it was very clear in the data that utilities that ranked in the highest quartile of satisfaction nationally got better regulatory oh, treatment. Really? They were allowed a higher rate of return. Huh. So there's real dollars at play here by making sure you take good care of your customers. It's a virtuous circle that says, if I have a happy customer, I've got happy regulators. Happy regulators means I'm allowed to earn a bigger return for ongoing operations and maintenance as well as capital investment, which creates a happier customer, and the cycle is virtuously uh, you know, on an upswing. Do you ever find that um, customer satisfaction stays even or even improves in the face of decreasing service, whether it's uh, Mother Nature causes the service declines? In other words, can you, can you be interactive and proactive with a consumer even though the power is going out. Well, that's exactly the opportunity at hand. Um, ah. Customers, several things. I mean, customers are forgiving if services are interrupted because of Mother Nature. Okay. We, we get it. We under, Customers understand that. Now, if it happens three or four times in a row, it's a little aggravating and it probably wears you down and you get exhausted. But for those big-scale events, you know, the, the ice storms that come through this yeah. part of the mm -hmm. territory yeah. or the nor'easters or hurricanes that hit the, right. the Atlantic seaboard of the Gulf, Customers get it, but we absolutely see that the more proactive their providers are at providing them information, the higher the satisfaction becomes, to the point where, even for like everyday summer thunderstorm events, that if you're doing a good job communicating what happened and when it's going to be back on and providing updates on the status, you end up with customers that are more satisfied than customers who never had a service interruption. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. So we're, as yeah. consumers, we're tolerant as long as you'd let me know what's going on. Right. Um, do I have to abandon my house and, you know, drive oh. 50 miles away and go stay with Aunt Judy? Right. Or can I stay here for a couple hours and I'll be back Aunt on? Ju Aunt Judy anymore. Right, Judy. yeah. So what you know what I mean? Was JD, was JD Power ever public or was it always private and why is it held by private equity now? So, um, cause that's usually, the yeah, I know no, no, was never thought Dave of power owned thing. it for, for years and years and years and years. And I want to say, away, I trust uh, no, actually Dave's, um, oh, cool. uh, still alive. He's actually a, um, Massachusetts native. Oh really? Yeah. No, go there figure. we go. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Um, and so he resides, he's got a summer place in Massachusetts. Is he active still California? with JD power? Or uh, no, he hasn't been active for several years. Okay. Um, I want to say it was, in, uh, 2000 and six the aughts. or so, 10 plus 12 years ago, the Dave Power sold J.D. Power to McGraw-Hill. Right. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Publishing company. Publishing. I guess that makes sense, yeah. Well, they had some data enterprises inside of, of the holding company oh. that were sort of relevant. I right. mean, a standard in pours that brings in financial data and does things with it and informs back right. out to the to the participants in yeah. the marketplace. Right. Um, so then uh, what happened? 
Platt's Energy was a big energy mm -hmm. bringing in lots of raw data from yep. energy production and things yep. like that. Yep. Yep. Um, well, the, uh, J JD Power was owned by McGraw Hill for a decade, I think it was. Oh, really? Until yeah. uh, uh, 2015 or Until just about it, almost two years ago. Oh, then what happened? Um, and then we were, uh, McGraw Hill sold JD Power um, yeah. and it was purchased by a, um, an investment uh, enterprise called XIO based out of London. You know anything about that or no? Um, well, they 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 own a handful of enterprises globally. Uh, they've been a, a wonderful partner, continuing to invest in the brand uh, yeah. and seeking ways to make sure we can continue to grow. Really? Um, yeah. So I have a, an outdated view of private equity, which was it was a sort of a short-termish acquisition until you could get the price up and and sell again. But is it is private equity changing, or is that? Is that uh, chapter yet to be written in the JD Powers book? Oh, I, I think it's obviously yet to be written, but um, it's so been it. it's been a very uh, proactive and positive engagement with this group. They're not necessarily uh, with us side by side day to day, which is a good. Well, that's thing. good they, actually. They let, let let a good brand be a good brand, hmm. uh, and they support the investments that are necessary to make a, a good brand a gr even greater brand. So you guys make money though. We hope to make more money for them. Exactly. Okay. Okay. That's it. And then nature takes its course if it if that's what what it's meant to do. Adam Smith type nature. I, I, anybody named Adam probably would yeah. say that. <laughs> so, for example, I mean, one of the, one of the things that's really um, tricky, Mark. Thank you. Becoming to be a valuable investment for JD Power is we've identified that when we can bring the voice of the customer together with real operating metrics, right? Um, we can create something that's of great value to providers. We started in the automotive lineup, not surprisingly, bringing together dealerships. And Dave Power set this up called PIN, Power Information Network. And hundreds and hundreds of dealerships across the U.S. overnight will provide J.D. Power with the sales of the previous day, vehicle yeah. sales. All the data about the vehicle, the model, what options yeah. were in it, how it was financed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. And so when you bring that together with Voice of the Customer, you have a, a very real-time tool that can say, by the way, your other dealership shop that has those six Toyota Corollas sitting on the lot, if you want to sell them by Saturday, here's the price point, here's the deal you need to make. So oh. it's a very real-time thing that you can make out of voice the customer plus real data. So that becomes something that obviously, you know, you sell a subscription to. Correct. So yeah. you were asking yeah, yeah. before, how does the company make money? That's that's yeah. a way. I know that as I drove in on the Mass Pike, I always see on the right side, uh, on the eastbound side, uh, <laughs> uh, right there's side. a big JD Power or very big Herb Chambers. Yes, Herb Chambers. Mm. Yeah, they're very uh, proud to yeah. to have uh, been awarded the JD Power Award in some category. You know, best yeah. car dealer of whatever, best sign promoting JD Power. Well, he he owns the sign, so yeah. I, he it's always a Herb Chambers sign. He seems to. Own so why don't you do rate political candidates? Ah, uh, no, that's a really great question. Ha, it, I got it's, one. I'm not sure I know that. I'm not sure I know the full answer, but it's just been s sort of a, a wall that Jay, Dave Power built that he's never going to get over onto the political side of the spectrum. It, research is smart. research in some ways. You, you know, you know how to build a questionnaire and ask customers. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know how to analyze results and interpret results. But for whatever reason, um, Dave was always much more interested in working with the manufacturers and provider of services than than jumping over Be the wall. Best mayor of a mid-sized city. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Best candidate running for office this year. Oh, that would be just fraught no, with disaster. Crazy, I think. Though. I think you'd be. I think you'd torch the brand doing that. Perhaps it's like playing with. Well, fire, I, but I imagine the other part of the equation was it's so cyclical, right? I mean, yeah. you've got Obviously, the big four-year cycles and the two-year cycles and things like that. And 
But would that trouble J.D. Power's thinking about how these things should be analyzed? Uh, I think, no, the analytics would be as straightforward as, as every other sector Data science you do. is data the, science. The science is the science. It's a good point. But uh, it's just a market yeah. we, we never had a, an interest in getting. Um, but I, as we get into more things around the Internet of Things and Which is the things like smart on. cities, I mean, I think there's a role for J.D. Power to bring the voice of the citizen to play. And, in fact, we kind of do a little bit today. For example, many electric utilities are municipal, owned by the public. Most water utilities, there's, there are several investor-owned level water utilities, but most of the major water enterprises in the U.S. are city-owned. So we're actually sort of capping the voice of the citizen uh, and asking about their experiences with their local water utilities. And there's so. money in that as well. Well, I think, yeah, for the same reason. It's, it's a network service. They're delivering services to consumers. And they're trying to identify the better ways that they can serve those Constituents. Okay, so you're okay. I see the, the connection here was while you normally work with commerce, you are getting in and utilities, which are still commerce, the regulated commerce. Now you may look at less regulated commerce, i.e., commerce that is a power utility, or utilities of some sort right. that are actually owned by the towns themselves. Right, exactly. And so, how does it, how do you get paid out of that? It's the same model. We've got the our foundational syndicated studies where we independently conduct the surveys nationally, cover the largest brands in, in every marketplace, and then we offer up subscription to get access to the results. Uh, how about schools? Could you get into schools? Um, it's a potential marketplace. We've never done educational uh, work directly. We got a, we've got a bunch of colleges and universities. No, I didn't mean those, yeah. but you could yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's no, like 65, I think, in our yeah, area. Yeah. So what do you do to get into an area like that? You hire uh, somebody like Mark or like you who has industry expertise? You, you want to understand the industry expertise. You want to, Some of the criteria we would look to would be, obviously, the scale and size of the marketplace. How big is it? Um, how competitive is it? Are there two or three major brands that do it, or are there 27 or 77 major you brands? You prefer right. when there's a lot. Correct. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because that's more people to buy for the... Well, it's more customers, it's more brands to measure. It's, it's, more, it's, you know. it's more dynamically changing, which kind of makes it more interesting to understand right. uh, how do you keep up with consumers today. And But to that point, I think, you know, Mark, as we get more into the Internet of Things, and Smart City is a part of that right. view, I, I think there's opportunities to understand from the citizen's point of view how they experience their smart city uh, that they might be in at that moment. Oh, so. And also, by extension, you know, kind of going back to the original thing, which was, you know, the J.D. Power's original thing around cars, best connected car. You know, right now you're measuring, you know, automotive yeah. stuff, but I don't know if you're measuring who's got the best, you know, infotainment system or the best usage-based insurance, UBI you know, which yep. is an aspect that can, combines connected car. Well, I think all that all that comes together. Our best exactly. Automatic solution. Exactly. Exactly. But in the IoT space, you know, where, from where it touches uh, people, it could be you know, best smart city, best uh, smart traffic situation, which is a subset, best connected medical device. You know, there there are numerous ways. You know, best. Uh, you know, like in the IoT space, you know, there's uh, you think about connected. Um, Construction gear or connected farm equipment, you know, like the Caterpillars, John Deere's of the world, you know, I mean, you can measure, mm -hmm. I'm assuming some of those, and these are some of the IoT verticals that, that I know and love. I don't know if we all know and love them. Well, if you do, we don't, usually don't. But yeah, So trying to connect up a few things, and this will not work, I'm warning you in advance, um, in advance uh, going back to failure and to our last guest, Susan Conover who was addressing, she has a startup based in Boston that is addressing the open loop in healthcare 
uh, as I understand it, meaning that if you, it's an open loop and that nobody's probably checking on you. So in, until the loop closes for an individual, when, for example, they have a heart attack or their arm come, starts uh, oozing pus, they're not going to make their way back to the provider. And, and her business was a, 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 Specifically. a dermatology referral mm. thing right. where you to could try to close the loop. To that close way. the loop that way, I've got this sort of lesion um, in in my nether regions, perhaps, which is actually her use case. Mark could never drop that. Yuck. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a, it was a yucky though. It was it yucky. Was That's yucky. how. That's what it. Yeah, we, I don't even want to get. We there. we saw this yeah. startup at, at an MIT uh, end of the year uh, event. You're on the board for that group. I right? am on the board. Yeah, yeah. Um, just newly appointed, actually. Um, it's going to be like a long term. <laughs> oh my god! It's, I uh, just can't wait till it's over. <laughs> But, but anyway, but anyway, anyway, so you know, she discovered that there was this one. Uh, she actually had a, a, a skin cancer uh, situation, and there wasn't a way to kind of say, "Hey, you know, is this something?" So they would take a picture of of a lesion, and then she found some other areas where there wasn't a way to solve the problem, and then get a referral to a proper uh, dermatologist in this case that could diagnose this. And then you know, there's this whole closed loop scenario around so that. So you guys, so to try. I don't to know how relevant that was. No, it is. It is because, as I understood it, well, voice it's of the a, lesion. It's a voice of the lesion. Now, no. So I guess it's all she's addressing. She, see, we didn't figure this out the other day. She's addressing failure before it occurs. Right. Through through her. You know, watch this. I'll throw this in. Through her training in system engineering. Wait. Right? So she was at right. MIT. Right. She was uh, looking SDM. for feedback. Right. That's right. So JD Power could argue that it's preventing failure in an industry, but I'm wondering whether you have data that that is presumably if somebody starts marching towards the so bottom. Let, let me let me let me rephrase can you turn that it. into a question. So yeah, oh, I'll, we don't I'll, ask I'll, questions. I'll make, no, I'll make an attempt. So can you predict and prescribe uh, yeah. based on you know in a given market yeah, based on the go. data? Yeah, like hey, tricky. You have to say it was a good question though before you start. Um, oh, you don't get that. I, I'm not sure about that angle, but it, you oh. brought up an interesting point, which is as consumers today, we're all keen enough to participate in the process now. Yeah, especially right. when it goes negative. Yeah, we love that. Right. So, yeah. for example, all state commercials, you've all right. seen them. You've got the app. You take a picture of the, the bumper that had, had a scratch right. on it, and boom, you've now become the insurance agent for them. That's right. We're willing to do this because we believe as consumers it'll get done faster, it'll get done right. Exactly. And so we're willing to roll up our sleeves and be part of the process, like the healthcare one you talked about. Right. Um, energy utilities are looking at this, electric utilities. If you can figure out a way to have the consumer safely show a situation, trees down on a limb, hmm. the utility's now <laughs> better. True. Well, right. The hey, utility's now a, better a, informed. Why are in this puddle? Let me step yeah. in and yeah, take right. a picture. <laughs> um, you know, is, it, you can use these great technology devices right. we all hold in our hand today to help inform our providers a lot more about our current situation right. and maybe improve the quality and and timeliness of the response. So tie that back to J.D. Power. So we measure those in the, in the ongoing results. So we clearly see, for example... We measure what? Um, satisfaction with my auto insurance. We right. can see the lift, which creates extreme delight for the consumer who's had to make a claim, but he did it through the app by taking a photograph and sending it in. Right. And the failure that prevents is... This is a stretch, but the failure that prevents is by keeping... by helping a given supplier... Meet customer meet uh, the satisfaction of its customers. They're presumably doing the right thing, as opposed to going off the deep end and going lower and lower in your surveys, and eventually getting kicked out of the market. Well, right. I mean, it's pretty clear Ooh, in very competitive marketplaces that satisfaction is a direct link to likelihood to switch. 
Oh, so hey, it's churn so it's, yeah, it's prevention. We're looking churn for a prevention. new prevention. Okay, we're looking for a new theory for the for the. We're on season two, show two. You should be thrilled. Um, <laughs> you're jumping up and down. Uh, let the record reflect. Uh, so is, is is the theory I'm for this? silent. <laughs> Mark is the theory for this season that failure can be prevented through closed loops. I think failure can be prevented by. You know, and I'm not trying to toss a bone over to, uh, to oh, Jeff, no, but, but failure can be prevented by listening to the customers, certainly. It sounds like an obvious point. Oh, this is back to um, who's our friend uh, from MIT. Uh, oh, uh, your guy from last year. Uh, Ra- Ra- Wright. Yeah. Randy Wright. Randy Wright. Consumer, uh, co- uh, it's every product introduction and every product success is a co- conversation with the marketplace. That's right. So, you know... Um, uh, he was although, actually very good. Yeah, he was we'll, great, we'll send actually. you the link for that one. You, um, yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. because it was, you know, a, a, a pompous MIT. I mean, it was a great uh, MIT professor. Him? He was uh, no, great. No, he said, yeah, from the TLO, from the Technology no, Licensing no, Office. No, um, the I. Uh, it wasn't the pompous. Where, I'm just joking. Yeah, he was He was excellent. Um, he was actually It was very from good. the, what do you call it? It was where, where uh, Graham is. Oh, yeah, in the um, um, ILP. ILP, the Industrial Liaison, Liaison Program, Program, which has mm-hmm. probably been renamed 10 times. No, I think it's still ILP. Okay. So, I know because I'm on the board of... Oh, God, no, not again. You're on the board of that, too? No. Oh, no, I'm not welcome there. Okay. Um, so, anyways, no, he, so his whole thing was conversation with the marketplace, mm-hmm. and uh, which is what you guys, as the part of the loop you close... So where they're the, they're the facilitator for the conversation in the marketplace and yeah. and the validator. Yeah, that's exactly it's right. Been, it's back to benchmarking. Right. Yeah. So we're the listening post. Um, here's an example for the study that's coming out tomorrow on wireline satisfaction with internet service providers, kind of tied into the connected home that we've been talking about, which is we ask consumers, the households in that study, which devices do you have in your home that are connected to the internet. Smart thermostats, smart speakers, That's right. home security systems. Um, Children. No, you're, you're, well, that's a different one. <laughs> Children, Your Roomba, yes. as, as we talked uh, about, really. connected uh, smart, vacuums. Smart oh, really? vacuums, yeah. uh, et cetera. And what we find, pretty smart straight line, is the more devices that are connected to the Internet, the higher the satisfaction with the Internet provider. Because? Because you're leveraging more value uh, out of that pipe that comes to your house. So so now I'm trying to take this somewhere, um, which is probably not worthwhile, but... It, with a company, so the Adam Smith view of the world or the Randy Wright view of the world would be that if the conversation ceases or the listener, which is the manufacturer or supplier, just doesn't get it, then the conversation will end because the product will not be bought and we will run the business will run out of money. And right. the value you provide is before the business fails, you short circuit the, the lack of communication, you provide the communication saying, look, you're going down on the charts, people don't like you, they don't like your product, and they don't like yeah. something you Here, have to here's offer. Why. Here's right. why. That's right. Yeah. I, I, I Closed mean, loops. Yeah. Well, yeah, so, you know, benchmarking, but I think, and, and I know we're kind of drawing to the close of an hour, just from a time check standpoint, um, but the um, time and weather. Um, we had a, anyway, it's it's not worth doing on this, but, um, (laughs) but it is about one o'clock and it's about 80 degrees in Boston. Um, (laughs) a gentleman by the name of Mick will appreciate that. Yeah. So if he listens, if he listens, so I I mean, I, I, the point I was going to make was Steve Jobs famously ignored or didn't even bother to get the voice of the customer. And I would say he was a one-off. 
in it, you know, he had an ability, or the legend was that there was an mm-hmm. ability to predict what people wanted before they even wanted it, before they knew they wanted it. Um, nah. I think that you could argue that there are a lot of entrepreneurs like that, and most of them fail, but statistically, one in a century has to succeed, and you well, found so, that so one. Let's, uh, let's ask the experts. So how would a, a, a company that doesn't really listen to the voice of the customer, anonymous, uh, 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 just how would they succeed when... You know, the kind of the by most, looking at sales data, they have to well, look at it, sales data. Well, yeah, but before, hey, this ain't working. Let's let's redesign. I, I it. know put this the, is going put the to balls work. on the other side. If you remember, uh, but, what was but that? How, Fire sign theater. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so how, I mean, how does a, an Apple or Steve Jobs type entrepreneur succeed uh, without actually having voice of the customer data? Which he must have had. Yeah, I, um, I know you don't it, want to specifically a, talk no, about it's Apple. A, no, it's a rare story, of course. Um, like you said, I think it's yeah, a once-in-a-century sort of thing. Um, you jump from Henry Ford to Steve Jobs kind of uh, sort of. Oh, Henry Ford was like that as well. Right? right, in a way. You can have any color you want as long as it's black. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah well, clear, the, the clear link that we have with brands that um, need improvement is you can always make it operational to them. Because if they're not paying attention to the customer, they're obviously staring at their navels and trying to look at their own internal operations. And we... We ask enough questions so that consumers give us a sense of, is this thing working right or is it not working right? Whatever element or feature of the service that they're providing. And I can always point to an operational element that says, look, your big failure, the one thing if you improved up to like average in the industry would move you up a lot in satisfaction would be this thing. Because uh, your customers say when they try and experience you this way, it's whatever it is. It takes too long. It's too frustrating. It's not easy to do. Or they don't complete the transaction. It always fails. You can always point to something operational, and that's where you get them to wake up because the, the engineers in the room or the accountants in the room are always looking for ways to save costs. Right. They're going to grab on and like, well, if I do this better, I understand I'll save costs, right? Yeah. Or the engineers love to build a new box. So if I can improve this process, I'm so the hero. what could you offer? I'm just thinking, so if, if you, if a large company that can afford and to fail slowly hires you, it may not fail because it'll learn, because you provide communication that's faster than product failure, typically, that may help them right their ship. In other words, if you keep selling this lousy-looking whatever widget, widget, um, we can see in the crystal ball you'll fail. There's a concern out there called J.D. Power, and there's others like you who will provide the feedback that you need to see that early because you'll start going down in the polls. But but, but, but that, that relies on um, a monetary inertia. How's yeah, that? Yeah, but, but so the example that he gave yeah, about you yeah. know, overnight data from, from car dealers is very interesting. So in real time, here's what vehicles are moving, here's what vehicles are not. And there's probably some predictive right. or prescriptive element to that. Because the price is wrong, because oh, the, true, that's part of the conversation. You know, uh, whatever you know, you don't have air conditioners in these units, and it's mm-hmm. Arizona or whatever peculiar you know uh, elements. I was going are. somewhere else. Oh, okay, Believe where are you not. going? I was going. So, if JD Power has a service that a large company that's largely on a track and may derail or not, but has inertia, they can stay around for a few years and hopefully listen to you first. What service can you provide to a startup? As a matter of fact, 
Couldn't you, you guys have the keys to the universe. You can simply go out and survey people and say what you want. Now you say, then, so yeah, what is the, is there an end to the power of the survey and why don't, why don't you have a startup service saying, we happen to know that customers would love uh, t-shirts that have tearaway sleeves uh, for summer use priced at $10 each. Why don't you go into that business? That is such a weird question. I know. <laughs> but I'm just thinking about the limits of... Jeff, see what you can do with it. Or... Yeah, no, I the question know. is what well, the limits of the conversation, which is why even why do what Randy, uh, Randy Wright suggests, which is introduce the product? Why don't you just do surveys and, better yet, buy somebody else to do the surveys? So there. Can, does that make sense? Well, where it makes sense from our point of view is we like to measure an experience that the customer is having with a provider at the moment. Could you measure the experience they're having with life and what might improve it? Yeah, like a, a bit. A Dick a bit. Tracy it's, watch? It's, it's not been a category we've gotten engaged with a lot at J.D. Power uh, as an oh, experience, would buy as it. a strength. Yeah. Um, we know where our strengths are, and we sort of stick to that lane. Uh, so we make sure we're, we're looking at... Um, do you ever do forward-looking? Do you ever categories? go to the automotive... Do you ever say to the automotive industry, we threw no. a question in, and they would like the windshield wipers on the other side, yeah. Occasionally, the occasionally the there are some. The there, occasionally, there are some forward-looking questions, but again, crystal balls are really difficult to get right, and that's not the line of business we're strong in. So we're not a forecasting necessarily oh, right. that's a predictive. Steve Jobs thing. That was a crystal ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, it, interesting. There's there is so much opportunity in measuring the current experiences, feeding that back to the service providers and getting them to understand that you're either on track for continued improvement and satisfaction or this one thing over here, you're not keeping up. Your customers expect you to be answering the phone in 40 seconds and you're doing it in two minutes or whatever the answer is based on the perceptions of their experience. Mark is tapping on his watch. so You can find it. I have a question. There's not a question. It's not a question. It'll just end with a question mark. Can you identify a situation naming the client or not, where you prevented failure? Those are hard to identify because you don't, I guess it's it's almost a tough question to answer because you don't know what what didn't happen. Well, if you'd gotten rid of Mark early with that award. But we can them. certainly see, <laughs> thank you, David. <laughs> we can certainly see that the second time through when the utility's done an improved job, for example, at responding to a hurricane event. Right. Oh, there you, we go. Yeah. You can see that yeah. they didn't fail as bad la- this time as they did last right. time because they invoked these processes or whatever. So there's lots of evidence of, of um, when they're facing a certain failure-like situation, how well they run through it. And you can differentiate the performance of brands very clearly uh, from the voice of the customer that way. Who does it well? Who does it just okay? Who doesn't do it very well at all? And so there's a bit of a scale to what, what does success look like if you do yeah. it right, and then right. what does failure so, look like if you so don't do it right? So by inference, if you're in the lower third, yeah. you failed at some aspect, yeah, you yeah, know, some right. identified so, aspect. Right, right, right. And that's so, the whole point of so, yeah. so I guess you could predict failure. Short-circuiting like, the miscommunication. That's right. So if you yeah. don't communicate properly or if you don't you know, answer your, your tech support line in, in a timely manner or whatever it is you're measuring. Randy then, Wright would say that the communication they facilitate is the communication that an established company can it's afford the, It's the to conversation have. with the customer. Correct. That's right. Right. So in your greatest panelist-like moderator voice, can you bring this to a close? Jeff, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go right for that, right for the end. <laughs> it, um, it's, it's, did you hit it? No. No, no. no.